from WNYC Studios. I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Wednesday, February 14th. So the surprise ending to the Tom Suozzi-Mazzi-Pillip race, it wasn't that close. And it didn't have to be, if you think about it. If Republicans had only realized that George Santos was to lying what Pat Mahomes is to quarterbacking, they wouldn't have had a congressman expelled during his term, and this special election wouldn't have happened at all. And in this Queens and Nassau County district, where Republicans have been trending since 2020, the polls that showed it neck and neck did not turn out to be right, as Democrat Tom Swasey defeated Republican Mozzie Pillip by about eight points. So who voted how within the district? What do we learn about all of Long Island and perhaps all of suburban, suburban swing district America from this outcome? And what can't we learn because of this district's particularities and those of these candidates and maybe even the effects of yesterday's snow? Here's the lesson Swasey wants us to take away. But the people of Long Island and Queens are sick and tired of the political bickering. They've had it. They want us to come together and solve problems. So now we have to carry the message of this campaign to the United States Congress and across our entire country. And in defeat, Mazi Pillip. We are the fighters. Yes, we lost, but it doesn't mean we're going to end here. And with us now, WNYC senior political correspondent Bridget Bergen and Newsday columnist and editorial board member Randy Marshall. Hi, Bridget. And Randy, nice to have you. Welcome to WNYC. Hey, Brian. Hi there. Randy, why do you think Swazi won and why by eight points? Was it really that people in the district wanted a moderate, as he suggested in that clip, and saw him as it? I think that... This district knew Swazi. Um, Let's not forget that Swazi was a known name, a known quantity. They knew what they were getting. They may not have even liked everything they were getting, but they knew what they were getting. And I think after Santos, um, that appealed to people. I also think that Swazi's moderate message um, and sort of leaning into issues like border security, which became a big one this during the campaign, really did help Swazi to get his message across. And even whether Republican, Democrat, what have you, that moderate message probably appealed in the end. We'll talk about immigration. We'll talk about Trump. We'll talk about race and ethnicity. (laughs) But Bridget, what would you add to why Swazi won and why by this margin? Well, I think, you know, the other way to ask that question would also be, you know, why did Pillip lose? Um, And, you know, to, to Randy's point, while Tom Swazi was a real name brand across this district, Mozzie Pillip is a new political newcomer. She's in her second term in the Nassau County Legislature, and she really did not campaign across the district in the same way that Swazi did. You know, if you were covering this campaign, you would have thought this was the first time Swazi ran for office. He was doing events all the time. He was going to local civic organizations. He was holding regular press conferences. He would sit down with anybody. And, you know, on the other side of that, you had the Pillip campaign that did these very, you know, tightly choreographed events. They rarely let her go out onto the campaign trail without having almost like a handler with her, someone from uh, the Nassau County GOP joining her on the stump. Um, And she spoke really very little throughout the campaign. And given 
that we were coming, you know, from the George Santos saga, there was something I think voters, you know, had a sense of that they really wanted to know who they were voting for. They needed to get to know this candidate, even if she would have been the person maybe they were more inclined to support. But they, the party didn't give voters a chance to do that. Let's take our first caller. This is Jim in Bayside, which is in the district. Jim, you're on WNYC. Hello. Hi. Uh, how are you? Thanks for taking my call. I just had a question about, uh, do you think that uh, if Swazi was benefiting by his support of the bipartisan immigration deal, do you think that that will carry over into the presidential election as far as, you know, voters' dissatisfaction with uh, this bipartisan push yeah. as, as the best possible deal right now? Yeah, dissatisfaction with the rejection by Speaker Mike Johnson and by Trump of the bipartisan deal, which would have had some effect, at least at the border, plus aided Israel and Ukraine and and Taiwan. Uh, Bridget, I'll stay with you on this. It's yeah. too early to really know. One of the things that I was wondering is that since the um, border deal from the Senate was so new, it only came out last week, um, you know, was it even around long enough to flip a lot of people's votes? But maybe it was. And what do you think about the national implications? You know, I, I was at an event with the Swazi campaign last Sunday, which was the first Sunday of early voting. Um, it was just before the deal had been announced, but it was clear that, that Swazi had been talking to people in Washington because as he was delivering his remarks, you know, he was he had was kind of looking around the room. Had the deal been announced yet? Uh, so I think he had the sense that it was coming. Um, and what it gave him was an opportunity to say, I have been saying and agreeing with you that this is a problem. And now here we have a bipartisan solution, a way to move forward the same way, you know, as he would often say, he would point back to a plan that he had developed with former Congressman Peter King back in 2019, called it the Grand Compromise, another path forward to reforming immigration. You know, ultimately, he tried to say that, you know, in order to solve these problems, you have to work across the aisle. You have to come up with solutions um, where not everybody gets what they want, but we can address this problem. And to just say something is a problem and not offer any sort of policy, policy solution isn't how you govern. It, there's a, the difference between you know identifying the problem and actually coming up with solutions to address it. So I think there is a way for Democrats, and we've already heard it. Um, Governor Kathy Hochul, who you know, as we know, ran against Tom Swazi in the Democratic primary in 2022, was on MSNBC this weekend talking about how the fact that Republicans, you know, tanked this bipartisan deal. And now this becomes an issue that Democrats can say, look, you know, we have identified the problem. We agree with you that it's a problem. We've come up with a solution. But now you want to prevent it from moving forward because you you're uh, candidate who is likely the front runner for your ticket, Donald Trump, says he opposes it. So, Randy, I'm going to ask you about the most common kind of comment that we're getting in our text messages. I'm going to read one as standing in for the group, but we're getting a lot along these lines. And tell me what you think. One listener writes, pundits are overthinking this race, that it was abortion versus the border. The GOP miscalculated one thing, Never underestimate the racism in Nassau County. An Ethiopian would never win out there. What do you think? Yeah, but I, 
So this race was not, in my opinion, a bellwether or a sign of things to come or a bigger message than what this particular district at this particular time wanted to say. I do absolutely agree that there is some degree of racism in this district, in parts of this district. I don't know if that played a role, um, but I wouldn't be completely surprised if it did. I do wonder if the choice of Mozzie Pillup was, did, you know, ha- to me, the, the choice of Mozzie Pillup was, was a different choice had October 7th not happened. Um, and I don't know that they would have chosen her had October 7th not happened. And I do wonder whether this race would have gone differently or whether the dynamic of the race would have gone differently if, for instance, um, former NYPD officer Mike Ciprocone, who Ciprocone, who uh, was in the mix early on as a choice, had been chosen. Uh, we'll never know, although Mike Ciprocone might be back for more come November. We don't know yet. Um, but I do wonder if that would have been a different dynamic in this race. But I will say this. I don't think this was only about race. Mozzie Pillup had some problems in her campaign and in and in who she was and what she was doing beyond the color of her skin. Um, she had a lack of preparation, a lack of knowledge of the issues. Um, we have written a fair amount about our previous endorsements of her in or uh, endorsements regarding her race, which were, where we did not endorse her for the legislature, where she didn't have some basic facts at her fingertips. And it was shown during the debate and at other times that she didn't seem to have the basic facts at her fingertips on a variety of issues. So I would say that while I think race may have played a role, I don't think it was the only issue um, that hurt her as a candidate in this race. She was unprepared. She showed herself to be unprepared on a variety of these issues. To Bridget's point, a lot of times they would have handlers with her, um, you know, surrogates who spoke on her behalf, even at her own press conferences. And I think that may have played more of a role um, than, than anything else in terms of the way people saw her candidacy. But I wouldn't completely discount race as an issue in this, in this campaign either. Let's take another call. Rick in Glen Cove in the district. You're on WNYC. Hi, Rick. Thank you for calling in. Hi, good morning. Thanks again. I absolutely agree with what she just said. You know, when you when you watch Mozzie Phillip at any of the press conferences or even at the last debate, she just did not come across as prepared. She didn't seem to understand a lot about the issues that we're all thinking about. Uh, she she seemed to be a rubber stamp, and I absolutely agree that if October seventh hadn't have occurred, that they would not have gone with her. She she allowed them to put somebody who was Israeli out front and center. They thought that that was going to be a big issue. It turned out to be less of an issue. But for me as a voter, I think what was most important are are a few things. First of all, the immigration uh, issue, it's not as big of an issue for me as it is for some other voters, because I know that we're trying to get something done. I'm a Democrat trying to get something done. And the fact that Trump would pressure Republicans in Congress and Mozzie Phillip to vote against this bill where Swazi was for it is just unconscionable. We're trying to get things done and they're playing political games. Abortion is a big issue as well. And she's so wishy-washy on the whole abortion issue. She's, 
she uh, agrees with the woman's right to choose, but she is, uh, you know, pro. Uh, uh, she pro, wanted. She calls the herself pro life. Right, she calls herself pro, and then and then she was she was for the you know the overturning of Roe. I mean, what is she? Is she one or the other? And so uh, I, I think from that perspective, I think we want somebody who's moderate in Congress. It wouldn't have meant if she had come across like a moderate, that would have been a different story. But she didn't. So that that's what uh, Rick, what thank you, me. thank you very much. Well, Bridget, I think she was trying to come across as a moderate on abortion by saying she did support the Dobbs decision, turning the abortion rights question back to the states, but that she would not vote for a national abortion ban in Congress because she believes that it's not her place to tell a woman what to do with her body. So maybe she was trying to give too much of a mixed message, although I thought perhaps it was a weakness or, let's say, a a moral failing of the Swazi campaign to emphasize that she was being backed by the conservative party, which does support a national abortion ban, because Pillip made it, <clears throat> made it very clear that she would not support that. And yet, maybe as the caller suggests, that was just all too muddy. Yeah, I think, you know, as we have said, there weren't many opportunities to hear Pillip really talk about her positions um, in one of those times that we were able to hear from her, that one debate uh, that took place on News 12, the exchange she had between with Swazi over the issue of abortion um, was a muddled position. You know, she she did try to say that, you know, she herself was pro-life as the mother of seven, but would not want to impose her views on another woman or limit their health care choices. But you know, as we have seen, that that's a very that's that's a very difficult needle to thread when you're in a situation where you know does that mean she would break with her party if there was a policy on the floor? She said she opposed a national abortion ban, but do we know that she would be willing to stand up to her party? It's hard to know that um, when you've had so little conversation with a candidate ahead of an election. And more coming in on demographics. One listener writes, oh, please stop playing the racism card. Pillip is unqualified, and that's why she lost. Uh, But someone else writes, um, as an African who grew up in Nassau County and now lives in Suffolk, I'll tell you that some of the racists out here probably thought she was related to Ilhan Omar. (laughs) So that's all over the place. And then another listener writes a question. Randy, I don't know if we can answer this question, but the question is simply, do we know the demographic breakdown of who voted how? We don't. Um, and more data will come out as as we delve into the results and we see it by election district. We'll be able to delve a little bit into that. This is, to the reader's point, to the caller's point, a very diverse district. Um, we, we've done some analysis. Our, our data journalists here have done some analysis looking at this district it's an incredibly diverse district, and Swazi played into that. He went out and shook hands. He The ground game was incredible, not only from his surrogates, but from himself, where, you know, if you've met Swazi on a campaign, he gets to know you, he asks your name, he asks where you're from, and then he remembers it the next time he sees you. That's a really unique 
quality that he has that he does himself that I think does appeal to voters. And that plays into the diversity of this district and the diverse interests of the district. Um, I, I do think that that certainly played a role here. Uh, but we don't know sort of exactly who voted how. We'll be able to learn a little bit more of that as we see the maps and we know by election district how many people voted, where they turned out, where they didn't turn out. But again, I will say that people were going out into the Asian communities, the Jewish communities, the African-American communities of this district and really trying to get out the vote in ways that I honestly haven't seen in the last several years, um, yeah. particularly in in the Nassau part of the district, but also in the Queens part. And I do think that played a role in, in the ultimate Swazi win. Here is Barbara, who's not in the district, who's in Manhattan, but says she's a conservative Republican and has a theory about what happened there. Barbara, you're on WNYC. Hi, did I identify you your, your politics right there? Yes, you did. My name is Barbara. I am a Latina Republican conservative, which in New York is a unicorn. And in my opinion, I agreed with so much of what you had to say today, is I think that they really, they ran a poor candidate. And I think that, um, I want to remind you that she's a registered Democrat. She never, she was never a, a Republican. I think that the Republican base was not motivated to, to go and, and, um, and vote for her. And also, I want to remind you that she refused Trump's help with this campaign, so she did not get the support from the MAGA Republicans. And the, the Nassau GOP uh, specifically uh, walked away from any help from the, um, the New York Young Republicans, which were willing to help, which Santos would not have won his election without the New York uh, Young Republicans going out there and knocking on doors. Additionally, Queens has been trending right, and she didn't put any time into, you know, putting her focus there and to getting the vote out in Queens. So I, I would say that, um, in my opinion, don't judge uh, November's elections by this election. This was a very unique and unusual situation, and um, that's all I have to say. Barbara, thank you so much. Please call us again. And, yeah, she's right about that part of Queens, which a lot of people may know, may not know, has a MAGA city council member in the last two elections, Vicky Palladino. Um, so trending that way, but um, very interesting observations from Barbara in Manhattan there. Um, and so let's, let's end on a little conversation about how much of a national be bellwether this actually is. The national media has been focusing on this as an early test of how to campaign in suburban swing districts all over the country with control of Congress, of course, very much in play this year. And I wonder how much each of you thinks this is a bellwether for elsewhere and how much maybe you think it's not. Uh, we heard what Barbara just said about why it may not be. Also, Randy, I know you were questioning earlier whether whether this is such a bellwether. And and this is a very demographically New York suburb, right? Significantly Jewish, significantly Italian and Catholic, significantly Asian-American, about 18%. And this was the so-called Gold Coast, the affluent North Shore of Nassau County for the most part. I read the median household income in the district is around $130,000, very high by national standards. So maybe this is economically and demographically fairly different from the suburbs of Atlanta, the suburbs of Phoenix, the suburbs of Milwaukee, 
where the presidential election and other congressional races will be fought right from the start. What do you think? Yes, I, I agree. I First of all, to Barbara's point, this is an incredibly different district than what a lot of the other suburban districts across the country look like. I do believe that this was a specific moment in time, a specific set of, of candidates, a specific set of circumstances that are not going to be repeated over and over and over again across the country come November. So I, as I said earlier, I don't see this as a real bell, bellwether. Um, and I do think it is a demographically, economically, and otherwise um, very, very particular district where it's just, it's not the same as it is elsewhere. And they also have a different set of values, a different set of issues at times. You know, we haven't talked about SALT yet, the state and local tax deduction, but that was a big issue for this district, which is not a, an issue, you know, necessarily elsewhere in the country. Another issue that Swazi was able to really lean into and talk about with authority I just don't really see the model of sorts of this district necessarily replicating itself elsewhere. I do think that candidates can learn a thing or two by being, you know, bipartisan and by seeming moderate in some ways. And I do think that can help. But I don't think you can take this district and replicate it anywhere. And Bridget, I'll promote your article on Gothamist and give you the last word. Uh, Bridget does have an article with uh, our uh, New York State reporter, John Campbell, called What Does Tom Swazi's Big Win in New York 3 Mean for the November Elections? And you've got a list of things that it might mean, things that it might not mean. Uh, so how would you like to wrap this up? So, as Randy said, I, I think it is absolutely true. Special elections, in, in any election really, are, are moments in time. There are a lot of unique characteristics um, about you know the events leading up to them, the voters who are, are turning out. This is what I would say about what we can take away from this from November. Um, you know, we saw Swazi talking about issues that Democrats often shy away from. He talked about immigration. He talked about public safety. As Randy said, he talked about salt taxes, um, you know, rather than just letting rather than being in a responsive position, he he was attacking on some of those issues and pointing to the fact that we have right now um, a House majority that has been able to accomplish very little, even on the things that they point to as the biggest problems, even on the things that, you know, across the board, people say are the biggest problems because there is so much infighting within the party itself they've been able to do very little. The other thing that I think is definitely something that we will see more of across um, races to come is an emphasis on making sure that you don't leave uh, voters, you know, leave voters on the field, so to speak. Uh, the Democrats went out and went after every voter in this district. As we talked about, they had a huge ground game. And they also put a huge emphasis on making sure that people participated in early voting and vote by mail, something that, you know, in years past, Republicans have really sowed doubts on the reliability of early voting and vote by mail. But what happens if you have a snowstorm on the day of an election? Well, then you have voters who may have participated that can't participate on election day. And so I think that will be part of the strategy, likely for both parties going forward. WNYC senior political correspondent Bridget Bergen and Newsday columnist and editorial board member Randy Marshall, thank you both so much.
Thank Thanks, you. Brian. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.